Anyway, so we are uh, at Matthew 2. And basically last week what I talked about is I kind of gave a a very brief uh, historical summary of Matthew, the tax collector, Levi, uh, of this guy who wrote the the, the oldest of the disciples, um, who Jesus personally called, um, and kind of the significance of his book and what he is trying to do with this book. He was writing to the Jew, to a Jewish audience. His, um, his belief was that Jews needed to get a hold of the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And because of that, he sets his book up in such a way that it would resonate loudly with the Jewish community. So he opens up in Matthew 1 with the genealogy, linking Jesus back all the way so that the Jews could see, oh, well, maybe this is the guy. And then he opens up with a few different stories. And every one of the things that he says, I think, means he's trying to tell the Jews two things. One, this is the guy you're looking for. And two, it's not just about us. We talked about that in the first part of Matthew chapter 2, that Jesus really was kind of opening the door to the world Um, When God had him go back to Egypt, when God had him escape to Egypt, when he escaped to Egypt uh, because Herod was going through and going to slaughter the the children, and and an angel comes to Joseph in a dream, if you remember, he goes to Egypt and it kind of opens the door of reconciliation with the world and saying that it's not just about the people of Israel, it's about the entire world. World And remember also in chapter 2, the Magi go back to their land in the east. So they spread the gospel message of this king that they had just met one direction, while the Holy Family goes another direction and opens it up to the world. So where we last left was Matthew 2:18, And uh, what happened was uh, an angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, this is going to happen, you better get out of town. So they do, and they go to Egypt. Matthew 19. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him. Remember, I talked last week on my side sermon about dreams and visions and how important they are. They must be important. They must be real for Matthew to focus so heavily on them in the beginning of his gospel. And it didn't stop with him telling in a dream to go. It's come back. And there's actually in this, these verses alone, there are two times when Joseph is visited by an angel in a dream. So that's, again, as I said last time, a different sermon. Uh, Appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him, Get up and take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. Now, if you're a Jew and you read those words, your spiritual ears perk a little bit. One, you already see the symbolism of Christ going to Egypt. You kind of see this because there's a relationship there. Then Jesus is coming out of Egypt, and the words that Matthew uses there are from Exodus. Exodus chapter 4. When an angel appears to Moses and says, go back to Egypt, because those who are trying to kill you are dead. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Matthew is trying to set Jesus up for the Jews as Moses, but so much more. So he's like Moses, but he's so much greater than Moses. So when he uses these words, that's what he's saying. He's like, remember, this is the next liberation. This is the next exodus. If you remember, uh, Moses goes back into Egypt. And through God's help and the power of the Holy Spirit, he rescues 
the people of Israel. He brings them from slavery to freedom. And so what Matthew's doing here is he's setting up the second exodus. He's like, here comes this savior, this child who is going back. He went into Egypt. He's coming back out of Egypt so that we can be released from slavery. Matthew is full, full of Old Testament scripture, full of it because he's writing for the Jews. But he goes back and back and he sets up this picture of a Messiah, the Messiah, so that people won't miss it. So what he's talking about here is that King Herod died. And what happened when King Herod died? King Herod was set up as the king over this area by Rome. And uh, he was very trusted by the Roman officials. And so when he died, there was kind of a question as to what was going to happen. And Herod actually knew that there would be this question because his sons had not kind of built the same reputation that he had. He had three sons, and what Herod what suggested to the Romans and which they implemented was that this little, this little kingdom be split into three separate regions, one for each of his sons to rule over. And it was set up like this. Archelaus was set up uh, over Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. Herod Antipas uh, was set up as the king over Galilee and Perea. And then Herod Philip was set up over the northeast region above the Sea of Galilee. And why is this important? Well, Jesus is going back. The Holy Family is going back to, uh, to Bethlehem where they were. And that's in an area that was ruled by Archelaus. And if you look at what happens next. So Joseph returned immediately to Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid. Then in what? Another dream. He was warned to go to Galilee. Archelaus, when he took over that region... Uh, made sure that his power and authority were solidified. So he took 3,000 of the leaders of the region and had them murdered. Basically, he picked up where his father left off. He was not a good man. He was a powerful man, and he was a bad man. And because of that, they go up to Galilee. So, verse 23, they went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets concerning the Messiah. He will be called a Nazarene. Now, this is where we're going to focus. Because, one, what prophets is Matthew talking about? And two, can you find anywhere in the Old Testament that says specifically Jesus will be a Nazarene? Now, you RVL people, ears just perked up. I saw some RVL people looking at one another. Yeah. And why is this important? Well, one, there isn't one specific verse from the Old Testament. There's no one specific prophecy that says the Messiah will be a Nazarene. However, if you look at the word Nazareth and you break it down into its Hebrew, it comes from the root word Netzer, N-E-T-S-I-R, Netzer. And what Netzer means is shoot, S-H-O-O-T, shoot, or branch. So in other words, it's saying that he will be called a Nazarene. So he will be a branch. He will be a branch from something. If you, if you jump over to Isaiah chapter 11, this, I believe is where Matthew is pulling this Isaiah 11 verse one, out of the stump of David's family or out of the family of Jesse, will grow a shoot, a netzer, 
Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. This is setting up the lineage of the Messiah because it is important to link the Messiah back to King David. It is important to link it back to, and uh, King David's father was Jesse. So a lot of translations will, will say Jesse, mine said King David, um, but it is out of the land, uh, the, the line of Jesse, out of David's line that a branch will come. So Nazareth basically was shoot town. You know, if you wanted to know what the, you know, you know, we're the, what do they call us, the river city sometimes? Yeah, they're, they're shoot town, um, which kind of is funny for us, uh, but it meant something different for, their, for them. Um, and so what that meant is for the Nazarenes, for the Jews in Nazareth growing up, that for them was a mark and a badge of honor because they saw it as the Messiah will come from us. The root from King David is going to come from us. The Messiah will be a Nazarene. And so it was set forth this kind of like this, this deal for the Nazarene community. And, and the Nazarene Jews actually were, were known for being really, um, really stringent in their practices of Judaism. They were very letter of the law people. They uh, didn't cut their hair. They didn't eat meat. They didn't drink any alcohol. They had all these different practices that set them up as this very highly religious sect of people. But Nazareth had something else going on um, that caused it, because you might remember something that Nathaniel says later in Jesus' life. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So how do you... How do you balance what one of these disciples said with the fact that there is a whole group of people that believed, in fact, Isaiah is pointing to it, Matthew harkens back to it, that Christ, the Messiah, would come from Nazareth. This shoot would spring forth from this area. Well, Nazareth, the town, sat 15 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. It was right on the crossroads of a major trade route. The Roman garrison that protected the Galilee region was stationed there in Nazareth. It was an agricultural town. wasn't very big except when the Roman influence came in. And then you have all of these people from all over the world coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. And, and it became kind of this almost worldly city that would pick up these different practices outside of this little tiny Jewish sect of Nazarenes. You have all of this other stuff and it kind of became a town that most Jews looked down upon. It became this place where, you know, it was almost like, I'm trying to figure out a city that I could uh, liken it to here in Texas. Um, Austin keeps coming to mind, but I don't think that's right. Um, I'm just kidding. Austin's a wonderful city. Um, but, But it was one of those towns where people said, oh, you're from there. And it was because of a lot of the worldly influences that were going on, that nothing was really pure, even though there was this weird little sect of Nazarenes that incidentally carried on after the death and resurrection of Christ. There's a lot written about this Nazarene group, and a lot of the, uh, the ancient historians of the, of the church say that you know, there's two groups that kind of came forth from this movement, the Christians and then the Nazarenes and then a bunch of other little ones. And, and one guy, and I can't think of it, Epaphius, or I can't think of his name. Right. Yeah, y'all wouldn't. I could throw out anything. His name was John Smith. Um, he, he, said, uh, he said basically the Nazarenes were trying to be both Jewish and Christian to hold on to the old covenant and the new covenant. 
And he said they really didn't do either one very well. Um, so kind of they kept their reputation as not being that wonderful. But Isaiah points to this a little bit more in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 52 and 53 is known as the gospel of the Old Testament. It is known as the gospel story way before Jesus ever came about. And I'm going to read um, a good part of it. I'm starting at 52.13. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. Many are amazed when they saw him beaten and bloodied, so disfigured one could scarcely know he was a person. And he will again startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not previously been told about. They will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom will the Lord reveal saving power? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a netzer sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his presence, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised, and we did not care. Now, we will get back to this a lot when we talk about Matthew. But this part right here when Isaiah is saying, it, it, it's, it's a shoot, it's a netzer growing up from the branch of David, this this Messiah who is going to be despised. There are many times when we do the Christmas story, when we talk about the, uh, the manger scene and the birth of Jesus, and we set it up and, and we have in our mind's eye this, this Hallmark movie almost that is so wonderful and beautiful of, of where the King of Kings was born. And, you know, we have the songs that so no weeping was heard and, you know, no crying he makes. Um, it's a sign of not healthy, if you ask me. But we have this uh, idea in our mind that the birth of Christ was this holy, beautiful scene. And, and I think what both Matthew and Isaiah are saying is, no, it wasn't. Christ didn't come in the finest place. He wasn't born on a bed of silk. He was born in filth. He was known as coming from a town that people looked down upon. So what does that mean? I mean, it's God. God could have born anywhere. He could have been born in Herod's castle and kicked Herod out by his power. Just whatever. You know, he walked on water. I think he has that power. And yet, where did God choose to be born? Where did he choose to be known from? From a city that was despised and looked down upon by the very people he was trying to raise forth as a team to go and take over the world. It's almost like being from Nazareth was a shameful thing, and yet for Jesus it was a badge of honor. It was a badge of honor. honor. I am from the shoot of Jesse. I am from shoot town. I am a shoot-tonian. And while most of the world looks down upon me because of that, it opens up the entire world to the grace of God. It says no one, no one is outside of my love. I mean, I I know it's God and God does these amazing things to set everything up. But you can't write a story that's this perfect. If you look at the beginning of Christ's life, 
the, the exodus out into the escape into Egypt. How significant that is that he's opening it up to the world and then returning back to Israel and then on to Nazareth. Why? Because I think God's whole story, and if you look at his ministry beyond his little baby days here, and he's probably a few years old at this point, if you look at his ministry beyond all of this, you see that that's exactly who he was. He didn't stay to a certain group of people. He didn't go into the rich of society and say, you know what, I'm going to hang out with y'all because y'all have better food. Because I don't have to wash other people's feet when I walk in this room. You have somebody to do that for us. He did hang out with some rich people, but he also went to the other extreme. And he hung out and he loved the people that no one else did. The lepers of the world, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all of the people that the world despised. That's where he went. Those are the people, because he was like, it's not just about you. I came for everyone. And I think this is just such a tremendous building to where his ministry is going to go. He was born in filth. His life was in danger, so he escapes to the world. He comes back to build his team to begin his ministry to strengthen these people that would carry on after he went back to be with his father. He is known as somebody who is looked down upon. Now that's a place to begin a ministry. That's a place to start. This is who I am. I am a child of God. I am not anything that I have made myself. I am a child of God. I have a degree from a four-year institution. I have a master's degree from another institution. I'm a pastor at a pretty big, well-known church in San Antonio, Texas. But none of that matters. I'm married to the hottest girl in the room. I have two incredibly beautiful children who I love and will be so wonderful in my life as I watch them grow. And when Corbin is the quarterback, actually, let's face it, he's going to be a lineman for the NFL. I'm going to be so excited about that. But none of that is going to matter more than that I am a child of God. I could become the biggest preacher in the world and have millions and millions of dollars. I could become in some other profession and be so successful, but none of that will matter. Jesus Christ is saying, I don't care about any of that stuff. You are a child of the Most High God. You living under the bridge. You living in that great mansion over there. You taking the bus to work because you don't have a car. You driving that Lexus. You do it. It doesn't matter where you are in this world. Jesus Christ said, I came for you. He sets up his whole ministry right here. The beginning shows, I think Matthew is really trying to say this, that God wants all of us to know that he came for all of us. Because listen, later on in Jesus' ministry, there's a lot of people that say he's just for me. Later on in the life of Christ, there are a lot of religious people who say it's only for the religious people, only for the people that do this, only for the people that do that. And there's just a couple of groups of them, really, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are fighting over who's better. Who knows God more? Who does God love more? Because who's following God's laws closely? From the very beginning, Matthew is saying that's not what it's about. It's about so much more than that. It's about my love bestowed upon my children. Boy, that's an opening scene. You know, you go into a movie sometimes and it starts out slow. And you're like, oh, am I going to make it through this movie? 
Now, granted, if you're not a genealogy freak and if you're not looking at you could open Matthew and you start reading Matthew and you're like, oh, he begat, begat, begat. I mean, I know our translation doesn't say begat anymore, but he's from him. Who is this person? What? What? And then you get to a name you recognize. David. Hey, I know David. All right. But then he opens up with this fiery thing of murder and drama and escape and return and building forth. And then in chapter 3, we get the crazy John the Baptist character coming in. Man, this is an awesome beginning to a year for us. To see that Christ came in these humble beginnings to be glorified and magnified so that we might know him. Man, I can't wait for next week. Look, what I want you to know for this week is this. That it doesn't matter where you are, where you're from, if you're from San Antonio, if you're from Little Carn City, wherever you are from in this world. It doesn't matter because Jesus Christ is there. Because Jesus Christ came for you. And let me tell you something, you better remember that he came for those other people too. Because a lot of times we want to say those of us in this room are who Jesus came for But we'll get to that in about four weeks. Jesus Christ, this child that Matthew is opening up his story with, he is the shoot of the tree and stump of Jesse. He is from shoot town. He is that guy that came from a place that no one liked. And yet he is the child and very son of God. And so are we. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that, that even in the midst of our lives and even in the midst of those moments where we have turned our back on you, we have forgotten who we are, that you have not forgotten who we are. God, we thank you that you loved us so much. You sent your son to be born in such a wonderfully extravagant way a way that necessarily wouldn't have worked in today's world that maybe, God, we expect more from the King of Kings, but, God, that is exactly why you did what you did. So that we all, no matter where we are in this world, would know that your power and presence is available to us, that the the gift of freedom, that breaking free of that slavery And that freedom that comes with knowing you, God, is available to all of us. Lord, we pray that you would pour that mercy down upon us today. That we would know if for the first time or the hundredth time, Lord, your love and your peace, that we would be filled with your spirit. And that we would not keep that to ourselves. That we would go into this world sharing your love and your peace and your forgiveness so that you might get the glory. God, we thank you and praise you in your Son, our Savior's holy and precious name. Amen.